This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Vaccine supply concerns. We will be back in the hundreds of thousands of Pfizer doses every single week. What it will take to get BC's rollout back on track. Vancouver's party penthouse. The police will be looking at uh, what other potential charges uh, can be laid. What one COVID scofflaw tells Global News about the multiple fines he's received. And the new rate calculator launched by ICBC to see how much you'll save when enhanced care kicks in. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. There are more serious questions tonight about Canada's supply of COVID-19 vaccines with new reports that the European Union might impose controls on doses made in Europe. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is trying to reassure Canadians that our orders will be filled. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, the pressure is increasing on Canada to produce its own vaccines. What was already a trickle is in danger of drying up completely. Zero Pfizer doses will be available to British Columbians this week. And just a fraction of what was promised will be available next week. 122,000 doses of vaccine have been administered in BC, but restrictions on supply so severe, only 4,100 of those are second doses. We have to manage our supply within the limited amounts that we have. The issue is a needed retooling of the factory in Belgium, where Canada gets its Pfizer supply. The company has assured clients the delay is only temporary and shipments will resume fully by the second week of February. In my conversation last week with uh, uh, the top folks at, Hi- at Pfizer, uh, they assured me we are very much still on track to receiving all the promised doses uh, by the end of March. Canada has secured contracts for almost 400 million doses of COVID vaccine, all of it coming from overseas. With the European Union threatening to restrict export of vaccine and the U.S. focusing on its own consumption, experts say it has never been more important to ramp up domestic capacity. It is critical to not be dependent on imports. So that AstraZeneca vaccine should be approved. It should be manufactured in Canada. According to Health Canada, there will be nearly 60,000 doses of Moderna delivered to B.C. in February. But there are no numbers available for Pfizer and no indication of when that information will be made public. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The wealthy couple ticketed for flying to a remote Yukon community to jump the COVID vaccine queue won't be able to get their second doses early. Last week, Rod and Ekaterina Baker flew to Beaver Creek, Yukon, where they allegedly lied to get the vaccine. They were caught and handed $2,300 in fines. Yesterday, Rod Baker resigned as the CEO of Great Canadian Gaming, a job that paid him more than $10 million in 2019. Now the B.C. Health Ministry says the Bakers won't be allowed to get their second dose of the vaccine 
until they're eligible on the age-based priority list. And that's after June, well past the recommended deadline. Here's a look at today's COVID-19 infection numbers. We have 407 new cases, bringing BC's total to 65,235. Sadly, 14 more people have died, which means we've now lost 1,168 to complications of the virus. 313 are in hospital, 71 patients in the ICU, 58,352 are recovered, and that leaves us with 4,260 active cases and 6,450 who are self-isolating. Let's bring in Keith Baldry once again for more on the latest developments, including the Prime Minister today, Keith, urging mm. Canadians to cancel travel plans. That sounds ominous. Is that a hint at maybe some new restrictions on the way? Indeed, I think so, Chris. Uh, travel is emerging again as a dominant issue in this pandemic, both international travel and interprovincial travel. And I think it's linked to the emergence of the, of the so-called variants, of the UK variant, the South Africa variant, which are more infectious. And we still don't know what impact the vaccines are going to have on those, those uh, variants. So again, the Prime Minister today saying basically new measures are coming in the days ahead. We do not want measures that we have uh, bring it, uh, we're going to be bringing in to further restrict non-essential travel to have an impact on those essential supply chains. That's why uh, we're working very carefully and very diligently on the new measures we will be bringing forward uh, in uh, the coming days uh, to make sure that we are further discouraging non-essential travel, that we are further keeping Canadians safe, but we are not bringing in hardship around our supply lines. So again, not clear exactly what measures he might be contemplating. One logical one would be requiring interprovincial travelers to potentially, if they're traveling in non-essential purposes, to self-quarantine for 14 days. Manitoba has moved that way. Perhaps Ottawa will as well. We'll see in the days ahead. Just a reminder, of course, we've got our town hall meeting with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix Thursday at 6.30. Of course, Chris, you're going to be the MC, the host, and posing the questions our viewers are going to be sending them. Yeah, lots of opportunity for people to get their questions answered, and we hope yeah. everyone tunes in. Thanks very much, Keith. I appreciate it. BC's public safety minister says he's looking into whether it's possible to give police more power to investigate COVID scoff laws. The latest allegations of bad behavior come from Vancouver police, who responded to a downtown apartment Saturday night where they say a party involving 100 people was underway. Romina Dea reports. An alleged party in the sky at a luxury Vancouver penthouse on Saturday was operating as a makeshift nightclub, say police. Officers handing out $2,500 in COVID-related fines to a 40-year-old man at the door. He had a, a protective vest, a stab-proof vest. He was holding a counter like you would see somebody uh, clicker uh, at, a, at a nightclub or a bar. And he did have several denominations of cash in his possession. Police say a woman who had been invited to the party called 911, reporting approximately 100 people inside. The VPD says it's the fourth complaint this month about social gatherings in the unit. Police tell us they believe they identified the owner, but he refused to open the door. We did not have the authority to uh, go into the suite, and it definitely would not have been the best uh, choice for us to uh, force our way into a suite 
when there are uh, potentially hundreds of people inside or a hundred people inside and create more of a conflict than, uh, than um, we're able to deal with. Public Safety Minister Mike Barnworth says his ministry has been in contact with the BPD. And he is seeking advice on what can be done when police are refused entry on calls involving COVID rule breakers. Romina Dea, Global News. At least three Whistler restaurants and bars now have potential COVID-19 exposures. The latest possible exposure happened at the Longhorn Saloon in Whistler Village between January 16th and 25th. It's believed to be low risk, but anyone who visited the bar on those dates is asked to self-monitor for symptoms. That follows public health notifications about High Steakhouse and Cocktail Bar and L Furniture Warehouse. If you were at any of those places in the past couple of weeks, check the BCCDC website for exposure information and dates. The B.C. government says it's the largest rollback for auto insurance costs in decades. And now you have a new tool to check how much you'll save when ICBC's new no-fault insurance kicks in May 1st. But as Richard Zussman reports, as for any pandemic-related discount drivers could be getting, well, those details are still vague. It's a car insurance discount at the click of a few buttons. What we're here to do is to introduce an improved online tool that will let you estimate just how much you'll save when you renew your vehicle insurance under enhanced care. The province is in the midst of overhauling ICBC, but those savings won't come into effect until May 1st. That's when no-fault insurance comes into effect in BC. We're expecting, on average, about uh, 20% savings um, for uh, individuals. The website allows drivers to see what they pay now compared to what they will pay starting after May 1st. It also shows what rebate you could expect to offset the changes in terms of what remains on your current insurance. When the province made changes to ICBC in 2019, they didn't produce a tool to show how much good drivers could save and how much more bad drivers would pay. Now on a mandatory monopoly product magic they've got a calculator to show you how much money the government is planning on saving you i find that highly suspicious while the province wants to talk about the no-fault rebate they're less willing to talk about a covid 19 rebate even though there has been a decrease in crashes due to less cars on the road because of the pandemic you will be hearing about the uh the uh the covid rebate uh very soon uh, as I said, I've had some uh, options uh, before me. BC drivers definitely deserve a rebate, and we frankly should have gotten it when other drivers in other parts of Canada got theirs. That was last spring. The last updated ICBC showed $410 million in profits, and the public insurer is still trying to determine how much of that is due to COVID. And the government has promised if it is linked to COVID, that money will be sent back to drivers as another rebate. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A 17-year-old girl is in critical condition after a hit and run in North Vancouver last night. It happened around 10.15 near Keith Road and St. Andrews Avenue. Police say witnesses found the 17-year-old victim unconscious and critically hurt. RCMP have since made an arrest and seized a vehicle. Investigators are appealing for any dash cam video and witnesses who may have seen or heard a new model white vehicle near Keith Road East between Ridgeway Avenue and St. George's or anywhere near Lynn Valley Road and the Safeway parking lot. They'd like those people to come forward. We're asking also for people to check their dash cam videos 
check their surveillance videos if they live along that area or if they live in that nearby neighborhood. It's possible that the vehicle that struck this young woman may have used some smaller side streets and may have driven down Lynn Valley Road to the parking lot at the Safeway. We're really hoping that this young woman makes a recovery. She is currently still in critical condition. It's an emotional appeal from a family caught up in one of B.C.'s most baffling disappearances two years after the cowboy Ben Tyner went missing. That's next on the News Hour. Do not try this at home or anywhere else for that matter. Police are looking for the driver who pulled off a wild and illegal stunt later on the News Hour. And the search for a large 3D map of part of the B.C. coast after a very unusual theft. That's coming up as well. But right now, today marks two years since the mysterious disappearance of Merritt Area Cowboy Ben Tyner. RCMP have said they believe Tyner is the victim of homicide, but the whereabouts of his remains and the identity of his killer or killers is still a mystery. Catherine Urquhart has the emotional plea for information from his family, now offering a reward for information. Ben Tyner was a well-respected ranch manager near Merritt. Then he suddenly vanished. Police later indicating they believed Tyner was dead, the victim of foul play. Now, on the second anniversary of his disappearance, Tyner's family is pleading for information. He's always going to be a gentle giant with an incredible bear hug that made you feel needed, wanted, and loved. 32-year-old Tyner managed Nicola Lake Ranch. He had been there for only three months when he disappeared. His riderless horse found by a hunter. He had one rein hanging there, so I thought something, you know, wasn't right, so I went to catch him, but he was a little bit jumpy. Numerous searches followed. On the ground and in the air. When the snow melted, there were additional attempts to find him. Still, there was no sign of the man who had moved to Merritt from Wyoming. Ben's parents, Jennifer and Richard, along with brother Jack, are offering a $15,000 reward for information leading to Ben's whereabouts and the arrest and conviction of whomever is responsible for his death. We continue to have unanswered questions. We're constantly praying that some Someone who knows something will come forward. I hope that we can find Ben and be able to determine what happened. RCMP say numerous investigational avenues have been explored, but details won't be released to protect the investigation. Our teams now are southwest. Tyner's disappearance still haunts residents of Merritt. And for Tyner's family, the devastating loss remains deeply hurtful. To have to live with Ben's loss is the most painful, excruciating experience ever. The loss we feel is immeasurable. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. An Edmonton mother whose son also vanished in B.C. two years ago is getting the gift of hope on the anniversary of his disappearance. Toronto forensic artist Diana Trepkov presented an age progression sketch of Christopher Couture to his mother, Ava, during a Zoom call. 25-year-old Christopher moved from Edmonton to B.C. to work in construction right before he disappeared in January 2019. Ava says her son's car, a grey Saturn 2000 with Alberta plates, 
was found abandoned on a Chilliwack trailhead. Despite a major search, though, Christopher remains missing. I just miss him. It's still Chris, his, his beautiful smile and his big Italian eyes. <laughs> I made sure I, the eyes are the mirror of the soul. So I made sure I kept, you make me cry. Um, I made sure I kept his eyes exactly like his eyes, but of course, more around here. I never thought I'd have another picture of a mother than that last one. So, um, that this means a lot to me and I like you I can only hope that I can take more pictures with him that he's still somewhere anyone with information on Christopher Couture is asked to contact Chilliwack RCMP or Crime Stoppers just ahead a global day of action to support farmers in India A peaceful protest here, but one that turned violent in India. Also tonight, a precious gift carved in BC, why it's on its way to Japan. Traffic is steady in both directions here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Keep in mind, though, that during the overnight hours, there will be lane closures for maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Save on foods and save on time. Shop online, then swing by for quick, safe, and free curbside pickup. Super savings online now at saveonfoods.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A train derailment west of Field, B.C., near the Alberta border, has knocked out power to the village and surrounding area. No one was hurt when the CP grain train derailed eight kilometers west of Field early this morning. But the small village remains in the dark during below freezing temperatures. Backup battery power was lost at noon. BC Hydro expects to have Field's power restored by midnight. This is actually a complicated issue. Um, the lines themselves do run on CP rail right away. And in addition to that, um, they run through the national park. Historically speaking, um, any issues around that area have been from trees and not the lines or railroad themselves. Six around the world are participating in a global day of action to support farmers protesting agricultural reforms in India. Grace Key shows us the local rallies held on Republic Day and why the fight for farmers' rights overseas means so much to a lot of British Columbians. Many people here still have farms back in India that they co-own with siblings, cousins and parents. It may not be worth much in Canadian dollars, but to family back in India, it's their whole livelihood. There is only $2,000. That's nothing, you know. But that is a lot of money for those guys, you know, to survive it for food for, uh, you know, the education for the children. Dozens took part in a car rally that started in Surrey Strawberry Hill. They're here to protest agricultural reforms in India that they say will benefit large commercial corporations and hurt small farmers. They stand in solidarity with tens of thousands of farmers who drove tractors to India's capital as the nation celebrated Republic Day, marking the country's independence. Protesters clashed with police who fired tear gas to restrain them. More than half of India's 1.4 billion people work in agriculture. Approximately 300,000 farmers have taken their own lives since 1995 because they've been unable to pay back loans. The fear is these new laws will push farmers further into debt. My grandfather literally did every single day and night to that land 
he's not going to give up till the end. We'd probably have to sell land either here or in the UK to kind of help support everyone back in the Punjab. The convoy made its way to the Indian consulate downtown. Demonstrators hoping their voices will be heard. Grace Key, Global News. Straight ahead, key players in the crackdown on money laundering. Mr. Alderson writes there should be concern that BCLC and SP management will be accused of willful blindness. What one former BC Lottery Corporation employee says about his time monitoring the action at casinos. And a full send, the search for a Prince George driver who jumped a schoolyard fence. BC's COVID-19 Town Hall. Your questions answered by Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. Email questions at globalnews.ca or ask through Facebook Live in a virtual Town Hall special Thursday at 6.30 on Global BC. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Just pockets of volume southbound on Highway 99 to Richmond on the approach. Save on foods and save on time. Shop online, then swing by for quick, safe, and free curbside pickup. Super savings online now at saveonfoods.com. I'm Trish Hewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The Cullen Commission into Money Laundering centered today on the role of Robert Croker, who spent nearly a decade focused on money laundering while working both for the casinos and as a watchdog for the B.C. government, John Waugh reports. As the spotlight started to focus on suspicious cash flowing into B.C. casinos, in 2011, Robert Croker was brought in as an outsider to review the anti-money laundering measures the province had in place. The minister was desirous of having a uh, review done around BCLC's controls with respect uh, to money laundering. Despite hearing recommendations from the gaming regulator, including a source of funds requirement and cash limit on $20 bills, those were not included in what would become known as the Croker Report. It wasn't really so much a forward-looking document. Its true intent and the core of it was to give him uh, a moment-in-time status of where BCLC was at. The rest of Croker's career would become intertwined with the issue joining Great Canadian as its Vice President of Compliance at the end of 2012. The next year, he asked staff to start tracking buy-ins using $20 bills. I was aware it was a concern of GPEBs. Was it a concern of yours? Yes, uh, it, it, it was. Then in 2015, Croker joined the BC Lottery Corporation. On his first day on the job, Croker was briefed on concerns that suspicious cash coming into BC casinos could be proceeds of crime. Mr. Alderson writes there should be concern that BCLC and SP management will be accused of willful blindness. A key concern, a large number of suspicious cash transactions reported at the River Rock Casino under Croker's watch. You were part of Great Canadians management in July of 2015. I was. Croker would also have input on external reviews tied to his previous job, including BCLC's response to reports by the gaming regulator. In the information note, you raised... Uh, three factual issues. Again, the time frame overlapping with Croker's tenure. That's when you were at River Rock, right? Sorry, my apologies. Great Canadian. Yes, that's and that's what the document says. Croker was abruptly terminated from BCLC in 2019, telling the Cullen Commission it had nothing to do with his duties, and his thoughts remain with his former team. And to see them continually attacked and maligned, it's really unfair. John Hua, Global News. RCMP and Prince George are investigating video.
The video shows a dark-colored four-door sedan using the elevated surface of a strip mall parking lot to jump a fence around the field at College Heights Secondary School. It was viewed more than 130,000 times before being taken down. Police and local business owners say children often use the hill for tobogganing and the stunt was reckless. That stunt could have put many lives in jeopardy. Um, it is not one that police would like to see repeated and we don't like to see people taking such liberties on our streets as that. Or a car could land on a kid because that this place is busy like all the sledders uh, park in this parking lot it's full. Police are asking any witnesses to come forward and they're asking if anyone in the area has surveillance or dash cam video. In Health Matters tonight, as we head towards the January 28th anniversary of the first COVID-19 case in B.C., the controversy continues over the devastating toll the pandemic has taken on the province's long-term care facilities. More than half of B.C.'s deaths have been in long-term care, many people passing away without their families at their side. As Nadia Stewart reports, some families who've lost loved ones say visitation policies need to change. The first COVID-19 death in Canada happened here at the Lynn Valley Care Centre in North Vancouver. A staff member tested positive on March 5th. Three days later, an elderly male resident became the pandemic's first victim. The single biggest risk factor for an outbreak in a care home is the, the uh, level of spread and the level of uh, virus circulating in the community. The situation at Lynn Valley now eclipsed by the tragedy unfolding at Vancouver's Little Mountain Place. It is the site of the deadliest long-term care home outbreak in British Columbia. 41 residents falling victim to the virus. 170 confirmed COVID cases the outbreak here ongoing. I'm thinking of everybody who's lost someone at those care homes, everyone who's been through that experience. According to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, by June 2020, retirement and nursing homes accounted for over 80% of Canada's coronavirus deaths. Among the world's richest nations, Canada had the highest proportion of deaths occurring in long-term care. In Quebec, the army had to step in. In Ontario, the virus continues to claim lives. In BC, a review is now underway by the seniors advocate seeking to understand what could have been done to better contain the outbreaks. We need to understand why did some care homes in the lower mainland experience an outbreak or multiple outbreaks and others didn't. Even for the families whose loved ones did not die from COVID, the virus has no less sucked the life out of them. Natalia Yoon lost her mother at the end of 2020. Visitation restrictions meant her mother died in care alone. How many more loved ones have to die alone in these care facilities before we're allowed to go in? There is hope the vaccine is the light at the end of the tunnel. But for some families... It's already too late. Nadia Stark, Global News. Up next, the big melt causing landslides. Well, they're incredible forces of nature. How climate change is reshaping Earth. And in sports, the Canucks get a win they really needed. How one player really stood out. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Oh, oh. 
gasps for sure. Beachgoers on Bowen Island were treated to an incredible encounter over the weekend. A pod of northern resident killer whales came within just a few meters of the shore at Cape Roger Curtis, a popular beach among locals. It's believed the whales are part of the A5 pod and they were likely hunting salmon. Amazing. And a warning tonight about another side effect of global climate change, this time in the mountains. A new study says climate change is causing glaciers and permafrost to melt at a faster rate. And that is leading to more landslides. Linda Aylesworth reports. Landslides can be big and scary and deadly. incredible forces of nature. I mean, I'm really into natural hazards and landslides are a great one. SFU professor Brent Ward chose a great place to study landslides because here in BC, due to the nature of our terrain, we have lots of them. If you look at a map of British Columbia, there's lots of steep ground that could have potential failures. Now, with the help of satellite imagery, a study out of Asia has determined that we, along with other regions that have similar alpine areas, are seeing an increase in such failures. They're associated with uh, retreating glaciers, and they're quite often associated with the melting of permafrost that helps hold up some of the rocks in these mountainous areas. When a glacier melts, often creating a lake, it's like taking the scaffolding away from the rocky walls it used to support. That's what happened in Butte Inlet near Elliott Creek last December. The landslide actually hit the lake and triggered a very large wave, probably 110 or 120 meters high, and eroded uh, Elliott Creek and deposited a huge amount of sediment in the watershed. The reason the glaciers and permafrost are melting, leading to an increase in these catastrophic events, the warming of our planet, for which there is only one remedy, reduce our carbon emissions. In the meantime... It's an ongoing research where we're trying to be able to identify these potentially problematic areas before they fail, so that hopefully we can protect people and infrastructure, but it's very difficult. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Just amazing video in that uh, in that report. Let's check in with Christy right now, find out what's going on in the short term for our weather. And yeah, mm -hmm. you know, no, it wasn't too bad out there today, I guess. No, actually, we saw a bit of blue sky. In fact, we were the hotspot across Canada today reporting 9.1 degrees in the harbour. So pretty nice day, despite the fact that some areas very localized in Gibson saw some snow today. And we have the chance of snow overnight, but it's a very slim chance. It's a better chance that we'll see rain. Let me show you what's going on. Bigger picture here. Big swirling upper level low sitting off the coast, and that's going to track across southern BC. Majority of the impact of this system will be south of the border, but we do have a chance of seeing rainfall or snow across our region. Six degrees in Vancouver right now and you can see Victoria at seven so it has to drop quite a bit for us to see that snowfall but certainly there's a chance of seeing it over higher elevation regions and anywhere north of Nanaimo up towards Qualicum Beach and Comox that's where we could see two to four centimeters of snow but I wouldn't rule out a flake or two even over lower elevation regions as this system tracks across our region overnight so heavier precipitation expected over 
overnight and that's when we have a chance of seeing some of that wet snow and then into tomorrow afternoon conditions warm up across the south coast we'll see a transition to rain and the snowfall will continue across inland regions in the interior so here's potential but keep in mind it's probably a slim chance metro vancouver would see any accumulations but i as i said i wouldn't rule out some flakes falling in the sky and there is that slim chance of seeing it across the interior regions from prince george down through southern bc this is where we could see two to four centimeters of snow so light snow for you but enough that maybe the kids could get out there and for these regions it's nanaimo up towards campbell river powell river that have the best chance of seeing that snowfall uh, maybe the malahat as well mostly for metro vancouver we're talking about rainfall and certainly during the day tomorrow thursday and friday not looking too bad chris but we certainly have more wet weather it looks like over the weekend and i'll leave you with today's central windows weather window which is a gorgeous shot showing the blue sky we saw today someone out golfing in pit meadows and looking at the north shore mountains with all of the fresh snow there maggie was in the right place at the right time to get that shot for sure Thanks very much, Christy. Don't go away. Pay attention to this next one. A Surrey map-making company is appealing for the public's help to solve a 3D heist. QMine Geoservice Corp. makes 3D maps for cities and businesses. Back in 2017, they produced a large map of Crescent Beach in South Surrey, where Christy grew up, which the city of Surrey has used for meetings and outdoor events. Now, due to its size, the map is kept at their home and stored outside. But around midnight last Thursday, someone broke into their yard and stole the 3D map, which would have taken some planning given its size. It's not easy to, to take it. It's 2 meter by 1.3 meter. And you have to maybe come with a car or a truck. And I don't know what they want it for, really. No, I don't. I have no idea. It might be just garbage for somebody else, but it's precious for us. The theft was reported to Surrey RCMP, but officers were unable to secure any video surveillance. So anyone with information on the missing map's location, please call police. Not sure if you look really close, if you could see where Christy grew up or not. She's busy doing other things right now, so she missed it. But Squire's here now to look ahead to sports. Again, every time we do these stories on something that's different, that's stolen, I always yeah. think... What are you going to do with that? There's been a few of them recently, too. Yeah, I mean, is, is there a black market for 3D maps of Crescent Beach? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Not thinking so. <laughs> uh, three of the Canucks' seven goals last night came from Brandon Sutter. If Sophie was here, I could do my Brandon Sutter. But it's not as fun. She's not, not here. Same. It's not the same. Uh, anyway, it's his first ever career NHL hat trick. Such a cool thing for that to happen with uh, the people in the building. He did at least get uh, backup goalie Braden Holby to throw his hat on the ice for him after he scored his third goal, which is this one right here. Very cool for him. Look forward to that later, Squire. Also coming up, a gift for Japan. Why this BC totem pole is being shipped out.
We have a disturbing content warning for what's coming next in sports if you're a fan of the Ottawa Senator. Dwyer, <laughs> take it away. <laughs> Usually we're warning people about Canuck games, but now it's the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I know it was just Ottawa. They are one of the worst teams in the NHL, but still, that uh, win by the Canucks over the Senators last night was desperately needed, not just for the standings, but for the psyche of the team as well. The Canucks got a chance to slap someone else around, and they did it with the other guys leading the charge. Oleo Levy scoring, Tyler Mott scoring, Brandon Sutter doing something he has never done in the NHL before, score three times. Again, it's my first hat trick, so it's, it's, uh, you don't know if you're ever going to get one uh, as you get older. So I was, pretty, uh, I was pretty pumped. Man, we miss the fans, right? Like, it would be such a cool thing for that to happen with uh, people in the building. I know that he was still pretty pumped about it. I was trying to order him a uh, McFlurry or something last night for him. This as a little treat, but I couldn't get his address in time. Really, it should have been McFlurries for everyone. Olio Levy's first goal. How about that diving pass from Nils Hoaglander? Or Quinn Hughes' first of the year. He's now tied for most points by a defenseman this season in the NHL. And Thatcher Demko, 35 saves on 36 shots. But there was a weird stat last night. In a seven-goal game, the lotto line had no points, and they were all minus ones. You know, I think sometimes their connecting passes in the offensive zone have just been a little off, or their shots have been a little bit off, and that's resulting in, in seeing... The, the analytical part of the game. Uh, it's not like they were hemmed in their own zone the whole night last night, yet the analytics might say otherwise that they didn't play that well. And yeah, they haven't scored a lot, you know, five on five, uh, but I have a lot of confidence in their line that they're going to score and they're, and I think they're close to, to breaking, breaking out. I think I've got some Sutter trivia here. The last time a Sutter got a hat trick in the NHL was 31 years ago. Wow. And I think it was Brandon's dad. Uh, the uh, Whitecaps have uh, brought in a lot of players from South America over the years. And today they signed another in Colombian winger Diber Caicedo. He's only 20 years old, which is great if he can get comfortable in Major League Soccer. The Whitecaps obviously think he can because they gave him a three-year deal with an option for a fourth year. Very aggressive player. He can score a bit, but what the Caps like is he has raw ability and they can work with that. He's going to have to work on his attitude and DNA without the ball. He's very aggressive, but we need to organize that aggressiveness he has inside a context of the team. So there's still points to improve, but his potential to grow is very good. And that's why he's with us. But it is likely the majority of Caicedo's first season with the Whitecaps will not be spent in Vancouver. When the MLS said they were going to start this season in April, they didn't have a schedule to show who's playing where because they really don't know yet. And one of the big reasons is they don't know what to do yet with the three Canadian teams. Last year, of course, at the end of the season, they had Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver go to the U.S. and set up shop there. And chances are the Whitecaps and the other Canadian teams are going to have to do that again in 2021. For seven matches in close to three months, Providence Park in Portland, Oregon was the Vancouver Whitecaps home away from home. And even though Major League Soccer has announced it starting the 2021 season the first week of April, 
how and where that'll work for the Whitecaps remains a giant question mark. I'll answer you, you like this. I'm very, I'm a type of person that in situations like that, I like to prepare for the worst. And the worst scenario would be all us playing all the, all the games away. Last year, the Whitecaps sported their home kit inside BC Place all of four times, once in March for their home opener, and then mid-season when they returned home following a month in Florida where they competed in the MLS's back tournament. Toronto and Montreal were the visitors at BC Place. They'll also be the Caps' only preseason competition. This much we know heading into the new season. So I can share with you that the club is planning to do something I think he has not done for years to stay the whole preseason in, in, in Canada and to do the whole preseason here in Canada as we think that's the safest and best solution for us. And then, and then we are, of course, going on and, and looking at every single scenario for, for after that. It's hard to envision any Caps matches against American teams at BC Place, certainly not before summer, if at all this upcoming season. If that's the case, the Caps are well-versed on being MLS nomads. One of the things that worked is because we were able to go through so much film with the videos, more than a normal time, um, we were able to achieve more things tactically with the players. But what I think we have to assess based on last year is in a more personal, in a more day-to-day -day different type of things that we could do to cut from the routine of only soccer, that's something that maybe if we're put in a situation again like that, we could reassess. Well, Baseball's Hall of Fame will have lots of social distancing this year because nobody got voted in for 2021. You need 75% of the voters to say yes. And the closest was Kurt Schilling, 71%, which was 16 votes short. He was so upset, he said, take me off the ballot. I don't want to be on it anymore. Uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens each got 61% of the vote. They, of course, would already be in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for these steroid suspicions. And because of the pandemic, the Veterans Committee didn't meet in December of last year. And they're the ones who can vote in players who are no longer on the writer's ballot. So because of that, nobody is going in this year. And I think that's the first time that's happened since 1960. Amazing. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Here's Andrea now with a preview of what's coming up at Global News at 11. Thanks, Chris. North Shore Rescue is responding to an injured hiker who was caught up in a slide near Mount Seymour this afternoon. We are hearing he was carried into a tree on the backside of Mount Strachan. And a frightening situation in the West Kootenai today when a man armed with a bow and arrow forced his way into Roslyn City Hall. Plus, we are keeping an eye on Field BC where a train derailment has knocked out power to the small town. The impact to area residents tonight at 11. Chris. All right. Look forward to that. Thank you very much, Ann. And when we come back, a gifted First Nations carver says sayonara to his latest creation, now on its way to Japan.
It was a very special send-off today for a B.C. memorial totem pole just as it began its journey to Japan. Kylie Stanton has more on the master carver's work and the story it tells about an immigrant who not only changed lives here in our province, but in his hometown across the Pacific Ocean. What was once a 350-year-old red cedar log has transformed into a piece of art, every angle carved with purpose. So I chose the salmon for the cycle of life. A bald eagle's a symbol of power and prestige. And I chose the grizzly bear for strength. Together, they tell the story of a man and his impact on two communities spanning the Pacific. It represents him, Gihei Kuno. Gihei Kuno immigrated to British Columbia in the late 1880s with the goal of earning money to help save his struggling village back in Japan. He settled in Richmond and became a salmon fisherman, later bringing 3,000 people from his hometown to Steveston, where together they prospered, saving enough money to raise their village out of poverty. More than a century later, Gihei remains a hero. And this is a much overdue acknowledgement. Leaves to Japan to Mio Wakayama, Japan. The totem pole is going to be erected in the uh, courtyard of the Canada Museum. But first, a send off. We brush the pole for safe journey, and then we brush the artist. Oh. It cleanses the totem pole and makes sure that there's a clean, clear path for the totem pole for its delivery to Japan. We now know it's going to have a safe journey. Now it's time to let the pole go and release it. It's very exciting to see this happen, and, um, and it'd be nice to see it when it's, when it's put up in Japan as well. Painted red and black, the memorial pole begins its journey to Gihei's hometown, which just happens to be Richmond's sister city. A bond now only strengthened by this offering. May it stand strong in Japan. Oshiam. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Eagle flyover just for the finishing touch there. Beautiful, and we wish it a safe journey to Japan. Last word on weather before we go, Christy. Thanks. So it's only about four or five degrees. I tell you, it feels colder than that. So there's still a slight chance of snow overnight, but it's more likely we'll see rain. All right. Thanks very much, and thank you for watching, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow.